Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hello, I'm so excited to have Marissa here today. Welcome to the Arthritis Life Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And can you let everyone know just a quick intro, like where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Yeah. So um, I'm Marissa. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I was diagnosed with um, rheumatoid arthritis in September of 2020. Yeah. So you're one of the people that deserves an additional like warrior badge for getting diagnosed during the pandemic. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's rough. So yeah, I would love to just jump right into your diagnosis story slash saga. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily it wasn't too much of a saga. Um, so right around, I don't know, maybe it was like March or April. So like early on in the pandemic, I started um, noticing some signs of um, just that, you know, working a desk job, it was a little bit more difficult to do my job when, you know, my wrists were bothering me and I started noticing some, some symptoms in my hands. Um, and so I talked to my primary care physician about it. Um, and he said like, oh, it's probably carpal tunnel. A lot of people, you know, now that we're moving um, to working um, from home and, you know, may, may or may not have a good setup. Um, a lot of people are noticing, um, you know, symptoms of carpal tunnel. And so um, I had bought a wrist, a wrist brace um, and I slept with it at night and tried to use it during the day. Um, and so I did that for probably about a month or so and then um, still was having symptoms. And my primary care physician referred me out to an orthopedist. Um, who took some x-rays. Um, and since it was both hands, they also x-rayed my neck. And that was like a very, <laughs> that was a little scary, uh, not the actual process, but just the thought of like, oh no, what's, what's going on in my neck. Um, but 
the x-rays were fine. Um, the orthopedist also thought that it was carpal tunnel um, and sent me to get, um, crud, what is it called? A nerve test. It might just be called a nerve test um, where you feel like you're being turned into a robot um, and you have these like electric pulses that are sent along various tendons and, and uh, the sort uh, through your arms. Um, and that also suggested that it was carpal tunnel. Um, so then I go to the orthopedist again and they want to cut open my wrists and do a, um, I forgot what it's called. There's some surgery to release that. I think it's um, like, I think that nerve test is like the nerve conduction test. Yes. Officially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it's carpal tunnel release surgery, but was it yes. just to clarify, was it both hands and wrists yes. or was it just one? Okay. It was both. Okay. Um, and so that would require me to take off from work for two weeks and essentially not really be able to use my hands uh, a whole lot. And so, um, you know, I was willing to do it if that's what was needed. Um, but along the same, around the same time, um, I started noticing like my knees were also not happy. Um, I was having some pain in my toes um, and my elbows are, are really my big um, flare, joints that are prone to flaring. Um, and so at that point, um, and I was at this point, like feeling very frustrated because um, I had started doing yoga over the pandemic. And there were days where like just being in table position, tabletop, like we're just not happening. Um, and so I was discussing a lot of these frustrations with my therapist um, who has um, a relationship with some autoimmune diseases herself, which is really helpful. Um, not, not that I'm glad that she has these autoimmune, um, conditions, but, uh, it, it, it's helpful to have somebody listen to you that, that has firsthand experience. Um, and so she, uh, uh, encouraged me to get, you know, a second opinion, um, and to see a rheumatologist to see if, you know, this was something that was in fact autoimmune, um, or if it's, you know, just so happens to be coincidental and I have carpal tunnel and my joints just hate me. Um, and so lo and behold, um, I see a rheumatologist that my primary care physician um, referred me to um, and she's great. And um, sure enough, it's rheumatoid arthritis. And I got the official diagnosis pretty close to my 30th birthday, um, <laughs> which was some birthday present uh, from the universe. Uh, didn't love, um, and, uh, started on, uh, I think I did some like prednisone and I don't remember what, um, I guess we went straight for the biologics, um, because I, I was a little bit, um, I was, she was hesitant and I was hesitant about going meth for methyltrexate just because, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to have kids soon in the next few years. Um, and she has a lot of patients, you know, who are younger and, and um, get uh, frustrated by, you know, not being able to drink. And there's a lot of other um, just potential, I guess, side effects. Um, and so we started on Humira and that was a whole, <laughs> whole process to get approved and, and whatever we could talk about. But um, yeah, so, I mean, all in all, it's probably about six-ish months from the onset until I was diagnosed and from 
you know, my experience in the Room to Thrive group and and reading Reddit, like that is pretty unusual. Um, it's in- it, yeah, it it usually takes. Well, it depends how severe and how quote unquote textbook your symptoms are. Um, it can be faster or slower, but um, t- a lot of people it takes over you know a year or two. So. Um, so, and I think, yes, some of the telltale signs are that it's in more than one joint that's, you know, that's symmetrical, both sides of the body are affected that it seems to be, you know, the patterns would be also like worse in the morning, worse after Mm -hmm. activity, you know, better with activity. And then being, did you also have the systemic symptoms like fatigue or anything? Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely some fatigue. Um, but I, you know, also going through a global pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. it was a little hard to to discern what is uh, what is due to RA and what is due to just the state of the world. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other systemic. Yeah, Did I your mean, for fingers me, hurt or was it only the wrists? Oh, my fingers hurt. Your fingers hurt too, because that's yeah. the thing. Like carpal tunnel just alone can be usually the wrist, not as much. I mean, it can be the fingers too, but because all of the, or a lot, there's like 30 different, um, muscles in the hand, like half of them originate above the hand, like in the forearm and go through the carpal tunnel into the hand, the other half originate in the hand. So, but you know, long story short, yeah, the fact that it was, I'm really glad that you're um, therapist, your mental health therapist suggested it because first of all, she saved you from a potentially unnecessary carpal tunnel surgery. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Um, and that, you know, the fact that it was kind of traveling throughout the body to different joints, that's definitely not carpal tunnel is just in the wrist and hand, not in the right. wrist. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you got your diagnosis, even though six months is a long time when you're in pain. It's, yes. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. And what, um, you know, after, you know, thinking that initially it might be carpal tunnel, which is something that's like a quote unquote, you know, solvable problem, not a chronic lifelong illness. What was your like emotional response to getting, you were saying that you weren't very happy to get this diagnosis right near your 30th birthday. What, what can you walk me through your emotional journey a little bit? Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I was diagnosed, it felt very conflicting and bittersweet in a way. Like, I was so frustrated in not being able to do the things I wanted to do and having sort of like a question mark over what is happening to my body um, that having any sort of um, having any sort of framework or diagnosis or just direction at all was like a relief, even if it meant like, obviously, you know, having a chronic illness, but then at least we can take steps and figure out what to do. And I remember spending a lot of time with my therapist, just talking about that uncertainty that like, even, even if it's, you know, something chronic, like at least then we know what the steps are. Like, is it going to go get the, the, the carpal tunnel release surgery? Is it, you know, seeing a rheumatologist, like it, it at least narrows down like the options that you're considering. Um, and I'm very action oriented and task oriented. And so that was huge, like a, a win in that sense. But it was also, um, I think for a long time, 
Um, it, it was definitely a struggle to, to find, I guess, avenues where I, I could talk about these things. Um, because obviously my boyfriend is, you know, supportive of me and, and, and wanted to be encouraging and supportive, but, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have rheumatoid arthritis. And so, um, I think that was why. Um, early on, like once it had a name, um, finding groups like Room to Thrive was so um, helpful for me to just feel like I'm not alone. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's true. No matter how supportive your friends and family and, you know, romantic partner is and everything it's there isn't really a substitute in my experience from having people who truly live through what you've gone through you know Mm -hmm. everyone has a different role to play um but but yeah I'm glad you I'm glad you made your way to to the group um and yeah what were some of the highlights I guess highlights of being in room to thrive now that we're talking now that we're on that topic because I always (laughs) want to share about it (laughs) yeah I mean honestly just having more information that was like credible I think, you know, in the early days, I would spend a lot of time on Google and some of it is helpful, but like reading a lot of Reddit posts and like worst case scenario and best case scenarios and very anecdotal um, evidence is not necessarily the most helpful. And you end up going down a, a, a rabbit hole for a long time. Um, and so just having, you know, some more, um, I guess, knowledge and and hacks and, and again, with like a framework and, and figuring out, you know, what works, what doesn't work and, and why is this happening um, was really helpful. Um, and then I think having that along with like the non-scripted, just having a support group um, and having the marriage of those two things, I think is really important. I don't know that it would have been as impactful if it was just one or the other. Yeah, I, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because I it is two different kind of appeals for people. Like some people are like, I just want like a tour guide person to like mm-hmm. help me sift through all this overwhelming information. But but and other people are more enticed by the idea of having this support group. But it's nice because the when we talk about the practical tips and tricks and like makes making sense of the evidence out there that can be so conflicting, like about you know, exercise, nutrition, all that stuff. Um, you know, it helps anchor the support group so that we're initially like, Hey, let's like talk about how the ups and downs of like, when you try a new exercise program and it either does or doesn't work. And then, you know, you're not just having like a free for all support. Like you kind of start on a topic that everyone shares together and then you kind of expand from there. So, so yeah, no, I'm so glad I, I, um, yeah, I'm really happy with how the groups have turned out. And it's funny because when I first started it, I was thinking about like, this was like 2019 when the idea was like germinating. And I was thinking about mm. it being, of course, back then you were thinking about be, everything being in person, you know? So it's been really interesting over the pandemic to do it, you know, virtually and see how that support, it, there's so many benefits of having it online, right? Like, right. I mean, when we're tired, right? You can kind of, you know, you can turn your video on or off, like kind of lay down and kind of zone in and out of the group or 
cook your dinner while you're paying right. attention, you know, or other, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's been really, it's been really cool. Um, and I know that um, I, I mentioned exercise a second ago. I also wanted to give you a um, time to talk about, you know, the role that, that fitness has played, because I know that's something that's been really important for your like overall disease management. Yeah. How did you get into that? How did I get into to fitness? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll spare most, some of the, the long details, but, um, so growing up, I'll say this, you know, I wasn't super, I wasn't a fan of gym class and that was, you know, pre, pre RA even. Um, and so I went to grad school and in grad school, I found it to be just a really cathartic, um, experience to go to group fitness classes. Um, and I fell in love with group fitness. Um, and so I got certified to teach group fitness. Um, and then the pandemic happened and I didn't want to be around a bunch of, uh, Jeremy college students because I was teaching, I, I taught, uh, at a university rec center. Um, and so during the pandemic, I would say there was definitely a, a large shift for a lot of reasons, like given the pan, given the pandemic, given my RA diagnosis, um, and using that time to become comfortable with modifying and, you know, being in my own home, um, I think was really helpful. Um, and as things have opened up, um, it's, I mean, I'll be honest, I think it's been challenging to consistently remind myself that like, it is okay. in in, in fact, encouraged to listen to your body. And so, you know, some days I might not be having a good wrist day. Um, and so if I'm attending uh, if I had signed up for a class, um, you know, that mean that might mean that I have to modify. Um, and, um, and I've, I will also say, I think, especially given my diagnosis, like I am very discerning when it comes to going to new classes and new teachers. So when I find spaces that I feel comfortable in that whose teachers like automatically and instinctively know to provide modifications and where I feel um, except it's a strange word, but where I feel like I can be my best, whatever it is that day. Um, like I'll continue going back to those, those places. Um, and uh, what's just going to say? Yeah. And I think the other thing too, in terms of like modifications and moderation um, I've gotten a lot better about knowing myself. And so, you know, that might mean like not scheduling, a, you know, a, a seven o'clock um, group fitness class and then expecting to be able to do an 8 a.m. group fitness class the next day, you know, right? Um, and just keeping that that in mind um, has been really helpful. I don't know if that answers your question sufficiently, oh. but. <laughs> no, that's a great. And are you still teaching group fitness now or more participating in the classes? Yeah. So I, yeah, I took a break. Um, but I actually, this is like breaking news. Um, and I hope I don't jinx it, but, um, I did, uh, recently audition at a, a fairly young, uh, group fitness studio in Atlanta, um, that focuses on like the health at every size, um, paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, that sort of philosophy fits in well with my, how I view myself and, and how fitness, uh, fits into my life. And so, um, haven't scheduled any classes yet, but, um, and that goes back to 
what I was saying before about attending classes. Like I make a very conscious, intentional effort to go to places that I feel supported in. And, and that goes the same is true for, for teaching in spaces. I don't, I don't know that I could teach at a, like your cookie cutter style gym. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've heard of the healthy at every size or health at every size, but can you describe for people who haven't, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, the idea is that just because you are overweight or, or, um, you know, your body is a certain size or certain shape doesn't mean that you're automatically like, um, for some reason, the word blacklisted is coming to mind that you can be healthy at, (laughs) you can be healthy at every size. And it, it, the idea is to be more inclusive, um, and, uh, not focus, uh, solely on the numbers on the scale and to, you know, pay more attention to your body and, and how it feels. And I think that that's, that's a philosophy and a sentiment that I think no matter your weight, like is important, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. you're, you've only unfortunately gotten, got one, one body. So you need to be able to take care of it and listen to, um, your, your internal cues. Yeah. Yes. And it's so important to recognize that, that, yeah, there is not a perfect correlation between, I mean, there's not a, a great correlation between like, you know, BMI, like body mass index and, overall health. I mean, when I was my thinnest as an adult, I was my sickest. It was right before I got diagnosed with RA and I experienced severe weight loss and muscle mass loss Uh because it's called rheumatoid cachexia and, you know, oh yeah, well I'm on the BMI. Okay. Probably at that point I was technically underweight, but you know, they'd be like, oh, she's not, she's not super unhealthy because she's not overweight. You're like, okay, but actually my body is being like ravaged by inflammation and that's not good, you know? So anyway, there's a whole psychological element too, um, too. And I, as somebody who's always been kind of thin, um, I, I can't speak from personal experience, but, but I think it's a wonderful thing to say, like, you know, um, everyone should be included at a gym, everyone should feel that they can participate. So, so I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you yes. know, it's not just, you have to look a certain way to exactly. Yeah. To do dance class or, you know, swimming or yoga or anything like that. So I think that's awesome. Um, I support, I support this <laughs> movement and, um, you know, and what, what effect have you noticed does, um, your fitness routine have on your RA? Like, do you feel Mm. it? it, Sometimes it's hard to correlate, right? One to Mm -hmm. another, but some people feel overall, you know, that their fatigue or their sleep get better when they exercise or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I feel there's obviously some, some comorbidities. So, you know, I have sleep apnea and recently Mm -hmm. a few months ago, got a, a CPAP machine and that has made such a huge difference. Um, so it's hard for me to say what amount of um, sleeping better is versus, um, you know, exercising. But um, I will say that sleeping better has allowed me to be more active um, and attend, you know, more classes that um, that make sense, that I feel welcomed in, that I can modify mm-hmm. um, and, and they feed into each other that way. Um, so I guess the short answer is, you know, I feel <laughs> it's, 
it's all sort of related. Um, yeah. And I think even even nothing. Ugh, <laughs> Uh, talking is hard if if nothing else um I think the the movement and having a social um outlet uh is is super helpful for my mood um and I think it can all um be super helpful like even if I'm having a flare um you know depending if like so I take some classes that are like cumulative so um a flare alone won't necessarily stop me unless of course it's like I guess super super bad but luckily knock on what I haven't had one that's so bad that I haven't been able to attend um but just being able to 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 make a mental note like to to modify (laughs) if you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease listen up i am here for you i created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident supported and connected in a matter of weeks and it's called room to thrive after earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training i created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease this is the only program i know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Right, right. No, and I'm I'm really glad you mentioned mood because yeah, so often when people hear, oh, you're supposed to exercise if you have rheumatoid arthritis, they think about it as like, oh, it, it's gonna help, you know, build muscles and support which support the joints, which is true right. from like a mechanical standpoint. But really the mood for me, getting those endorphins 
um, it, it also helps. It gives me an energy burst. Um, and you know, it helps with mental health for, for me personally. So, um, I think that's something to not be overlooked <laughs> when people think about exercise and, and fitness. And, um, when you say like a group fitness class, what are some of the kinds of exercises that, that you do in the context of the class? Like, is it like, do you yeah. do them to music or do you, are you like stepping like step aerobics or is it kind yeah. of mish, mishmash? Yeah. 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 So normally I, I, I do classes that, that do teach to the beat. Um, when I'm teaching, you know, it's part cardio, part, um, sculpt. So part, you know, body weight exercises. Um, I haven't taken a step class in a long time, but I did pre RA really like them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know if I've taken a step class since my RA. Um, and I don't know how my body would respond to a step class, uh, just because it's a little bit more, um, obviously like knee intensive. Um, so that's and literally do, where they have a little like board, yeah. not a board, but like a rubber step in front of you. Yes. Like step yeah. up, step uh-huh. down, step uh-huh. up, step down. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just want to make sure, I, again, <laughs> people listening, they might not have seen it. <laughs> yeah. And I love step classes and I think they're great if, you know, your knees are not a, um, a problem joint for you, but, um, yeah, I don't know how that would go over now. Um, and I also take, <laughs> I also take burlesque classes as well. Um, Bye. And that has actually been, um, uh, I mean, I'm taking them for a lot of reasons, but the sun is in my eyes. Um, that has been really helpful because it's, it's definitely a workout, but because it's burlesque, it's, it is a slower, uh, uh, movement by just by the nature of it. And so if it, it doesn't feel like as, um, it's taxing on the body, even though it's, it, there are certainly classes that are, um, have, have been difficult. Yeah. And I think burlesque can, and, and I, I only know of burlesque from being a, a swing dancer, but it can also really help you feel in touch with like your, you know, sexy side for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, which often when you, when you start labeling yourself as like, I'm a person with a chronic illness, you sometimes feel like that doesn't go together with being, you know, sexually desirable. So that can be a benefit. I'm going to stop for one quick second. But I realized I forgot to actually define for people who might not have heard of it. What is, what is burlesque? Yeah. So, um, I, I think there's a lot of, hold on, I was trying to move the thing. Um, there's a lot of different types, I guess, or styles. Um, but it's, typically done with the intention of, um, you know, the art of the tease. And so it's more sensual and sexual, um, though it's not uh, necessarily explicit. And so for some, you know, for some people or some numbers that could look like, you know, just like a a slower style of dance. Um, I've attended a show where, um, you know, some of the performers will start off with like a big feathery sort of dress and then as the the performance goes on, they remove the dress and then they're like wearing like pasties and some sort of like underwear. And there's certain, depending on where you're performing, there are certain laws, like blue laws about what you can and can't show. And that's like a whole other thing that I didn't realize until um, I had started taking uh, the classes. Um, And so I say that to say that it's not necessarily like inherent uh, or, or required to, to remove clothing as, as part of the dance. Um, 
And uh, what else was going to say? And I would also say that I think it's like sexual, like lyrical dancing is is sort of my take on it. Um, I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, like some classes or some routines might use like a chair as the prop. Other classes or choreography might include some floor work. Um, Some classes may have neither. Um, And uh, yeah, I just... It's one of those things that um, I was interested in, and there's a studio um, not super far from my house um, that has classes um, and is like a very um, explicitly inclusive mm-hmm. <laughs> um, studio and you know welcomes all shapes and sizes. And you know I'm in a a plus size burlesque class um, and uh, as well as a level one class, and it's just been. Yeah, I think it's it's just been like really encouraging, I guess, for me, um, for a lot of reasons. But yeah, I love that. No, and I um, it's there's a little bit of an overlap between like the the Lindy Hop and swing dancing community and burlesque because I think historically they might have like kind of mm. co they uh, were invented for like a better word around the same mm. time. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think there is something really neat about like being able to connect to your body, you know, yes, that way yes. and mm-hmm. connect to the music and yeah, I think it's cool. So, um, maybe it will inspire other people to, to do that because I think, you know, a lot of times people, when they're again, recommended to exercise with rheumatoid arthritis, it, they tend to think straightforward, like, oh, I need to join a fitness class, which obviously as you mm-hmm. mentioned, group fitness can be super helpful, but mm-hmm. you also can get some of the same benefits from dance. You know, you can mm-hmm. get some of that cardio and that stretching and that strengthening. Mm-hmm. Strengthening mm-hmm. can be a little harder to get, but you know, I think about when I did Lindy Hop and did a lot of Charleston, that is mm-hmm. strengthening in your quads. Cause you're like, oh, hopping, yeah. hopping, hopping, uh-huh. hopping, you know, kicking, <laughs> hopping, kicking, <laughs> hopping. It's like yeah. basically like a step aerobics without the step, but right. <laughs> So yeah, I wouldn't, don't, don't minimize the uh, impact that, that dance can have. Um, I really want to have an arthritis dance party side note, <laughs> it would be really fun. Um, and, um, on a di- totally different note, um, but maybe overlapping, I always like to talk about emotions and coping and, you mm-hmm. know, um, before we recorded, you mentioned you've been, you know, learning how to be less judgmental of yourself and take it slow and kind of help just do things to help you come to terms with this rheumatoid arthritis life, you know, the life yeah. that you're in now. I would love to yeah. just hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, I was, I guess, fortunate in a sense, you know, I've been in therapy <laughs> for a long time. Um, and so my, like I've sort of alluded to or mentioned earlier in this, in this recording, you know, my therapist was really influential and impactful um, during the the whole like diagnosis and prognosis journey. Um, and I think having my therapist and having the Room to Thrive group um, really helped me um, process some of those um, feelings. Um, and I also, I think I haven't done it in a while, but, um, when the pandemic first started, I was also meditating very regularly. Um, and so I, I think that that was also helpful just to give myself space to, 
um, process. Um, but in terms of where was I going with this, I was going, oh, I was getting somewhere. Learning to be less judgmental. Oh, yeah. Taking it slow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that for me, like, I, I guess this isn't silly, but like going to group fitness classes and sort of rediscovering like fitness both in the sense of like post-pandemic, if we can be considered post-pandemic, um, but also in the sense of post-diagnosis. Um, I think going through that practice um, and finding ways that to move my body that feel good is also really um, affirming for me from an emotional standpoint to like, to recognize that um, I'm not... <laughs> that I'm not broken. Like my body still works. It's just, you know, for some people, you know, even without RA, you know, they may have bad knees or maybe they weren't previously in a, in a car accident or what have you. I say that because similar instance happened in a burlesque class. But my point is like, everybody has some sort of flaw, if you will, or, or problem area that, you know, you either have to work around or work through. And I think for me, going through and rediscovering fitness has been, um, what's the word I want? I don't know. Cathartic in that sense of, (laughs) I can't think of words, but I'll just leave it at cathartic. Yeah. I, I, I totally can see that it's, it really is, um, an evolution. A lot of people go through, where at first you're like, oh, my body's broken, you know, and the only way for me to love my body again, or to move in a way that feels good would be to cure or heal condition. And, and so like, that's the barrier as opposed to realizing, oh, like, like you mentioned, you know, there's often some sort of barrier. It could be an aesthetic barrier. Like for me, before Prior to my diagnosis, I've always struggled with my posture. I kind mm-hmm. of hunched my shoulders forward and it's always like, I always felt with starting Lindy hop and swing dancing. I was like, oh, some of these girls have such beautiful posture and like, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me. It seems so effortless for them. You mm-hmm. know, we all have something, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, realizing you can like, I could think I'm thinking of my own therapist where it's like making space. Yes. Rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Alongside mm-hmm. you rather than seeing it as the end. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when you can do that. And I, I forgot to tie the loose end of the treatment plan. So you, sorry, just to go, to go back <laughs> like 30 minutes, but you mentioned you started Humera. Is that working yes. well? Are you? Yeah. So, uh, I think it's worked. Um, I'm still on Humera, um, and, uh, sulfasalazine not to give these drug companies more money, but, um, (laughs) but, um, I mean, it's working. I don't know that it's working as well as it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's probably some, some room to, to play with in that space with my rheumatologist. Um, but I will say, um, I was a little, not necessarily scared, but I wasn't sure what to expect with an injection. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I worked with the nurse ambassador, I think they're called, uh, through Abby, um, who, uh, I guess we video called, I don't know how we would have done this through a phone call, 
Um, I think we had a video call for my first injection and that was really helpful. Um, and so it's not super scary anymore. And so I'm open to trying a different injectable. Um, what else was going to say there? Do you use um, the pen? Is it the yes. auto injector pen? Yeah. The manual. Okay. Yeah. It's an auto injector. Um, and I've also previously been on Plaquenil, um, along with Humira and, and that led to some GI issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've done short courses of prednisone when it was super bad in the early days, um, just to get it (laughs) a little bit more, uh, uh, I don't want to say reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, To put the fire out, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I feel like I've become more talented at, at saying lots of, uh, long drug names. So I guess yes. that's a, <laughs> Self- I guess that's a benefit. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think what you said earlier, it really stuck with me when you just said that you were in, I don't want to put the words in your mouth wrong, but basically that it's working, but it's not perfect. Like you're not in right. that clear medicated remission, but you're not in a horrible flare up. And it's right. really hard to know what to do in those times because you're mm-hmm. like, well, if I switch to a different biologic, it might work better, but it might not work as well. And then yeah. I would wish I didn't switch. I find that that uncertainty really hard for me to cope with. Do you also? <laughs> um, or I mean, maybe to some extent, like I haven't, you know, I'll be honest. I, I have obviously very limited knowledge of, of other biologics because Humira is the only one I've taken. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I think I think now, obviously, you know, hindsight's 2020, but it's a lot easier for me to reconcile like, okay, if the next drug, let's say it does nothing, like what is the worst case scenario we're looking at? And I've, I have felt that previously, right? Like I would imagine that that would be akin to my completely untreated RA. And while it sucks, like it's definitely not fun. I think knowing like sort of the range that we're like playing with helps me mentally um, feel a little bit more prepared for what, you know, what is reasonable. Um, Yeah. And I think the other thing, yeah. yeah, And I think the other thing too, um, you know, that I, I, I have the privilege of is, you know, with my rheumatologist, I have never felt, um, <clears throat> like it was a one-way street. Um, and, and she is very, um, like it, it is a conversation and, and, and we're talking, discussing it together. Um, and so I feel supported. And I think that that's, you know, this is something that we have talked about, um, in the room to thrive group a lot is, is like being your own advocate and, and how do you handle, um, physicians when they're not necessarily doing that? Um, and so, you know, for anyone who's, who's maybe listening and, um, and feels that way, I I would strongly suggest like you, you have a choice in the matter for the most part of, you know, who you, who you want to, to work with. And if they're not, (laughs) if they're not meeting you halfway, like it's no different than you being the customer and going to, um, a pizza place and they've messed up your order. Like, it's okay to say that they've messed up your order. Um, right. Yeah. I I don't know if that, yeah, I don't know if that resonates, but. Oh no, it definitely does. And I think, you know, um, 
there's a phrase for it and it's it's slipping my memory at the moment but there's a like a phrase in rheumatology for that patient provider relationship and how you know patient outcomes are better based on research they're better when it's a collaboration and collaborative experience uh, or conversation between the patient and provider, not just like the provider, AKA the doctor being the right. voice of God saying, you must take right. Humira, you must take this. Right. So it's more like, okay, like treating you as an actual human and having a human conversation mm-hmm. and then explaining to you the pros and cons. Like, you know, I'm on my, mm-hmm. I'm on my fourth biologic now. So it is a really like, it's a more longer back and forth conversation. Cause the more you get down the road of different biologics, there's, it's like your the research is catching up, right? Because they've mm-hmm. been out for like two decades, and for some right. people, they're on one for like fifteen years. So right. it's like initially we had a more of a database to go from, but now it's a little bit more of that art. There's mm-hmm. an art and a science to the, the decision making, and it ha- she mm-hmm. she really listens to me, and it's more like okay, we kind of figure out like, am I going to be more of a risk taker? Like, ooh, this medicine like high risk, high reward kind of thing versus am I going to be mm. more conservative? And mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, you're describing exactly the ideal, I would say, you know, which was that you said it's not a one-way street, it's collaborative, you know, and hopefully, you know, people listening, unfortunately there is a rheumatology shortage in some, some geographic areas. Mm. So if you're living in a rural area, that can be hard. But one of the best things about telehealth is that you can have better access sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So if you live in like rural Minnesota or something, you can <laughs> maybe do a video conference and, you know, for your, some of your appointments and come in physically, you know, if it's like a three hour drive. Um, right. I should have said Nebraska, like Minnesota's not that rural, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. You can, yeah, do that. So that's really, really helpful. Um, and by the way, earlier you said you were in, what, what did you um, go to school for? Sorry, I'm, I'm just tying up loose ends from earlier. <laughs> um, I went to school. So I went to undergrad for neuroscience. And then um, I have my master's in neuroscience from Georgia State uh, University. I don't know why I blanked on the last word there. But um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I had mentioned that during grad school, um, I spent uh, a lot of time um, not as like a gym rat, but, you know, I definitely spent a good amount of time at the, the gym across the street. Um, and, um, what else was I going to say there? I mean, this is like a very, like a footnote almost, but I do think it's interesting that myself and several other, um, Friends of mine that I went to graduate school with have later developed autoimmune uh, disorders of varying types. And so I'm not saying correlation doesn't equal causation. I'm just saying <laughs> that uh, uh, graduate school was an occupational hazard. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and there are geographic correlations. Like there, used, there was a big campaign in the Seattle area. Like, you know, why are so many people who... Um, why is the incidence of multiple sclerosis so much higher in mm. the Pacific Northwest? Like they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out. So sometimes there can be environmental triggers. Um, so, and I think, oh, what I was going to ask about work is I know a lot of people, one of the, the biggest questions they have when they get diagnosed is, am I going to be able to work? How is this going to be able to affect my work life? Like I know you were mentioning your first symptoms mm-hmm. were you know, notable because they were interfering with your ability Mm -hmm. to work from home. So how, how are you managing work with rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's a good question. Um, so I do have like an ergonomic keyboard um, that uh, that was the first thing I bought with some like work from home stipend that we had. Um, I've tried an ergonomic mouse, the one that has like the, the rollerball, and I really hated it because it just works so differently from a normal mouse. Um, <clears throat> I also uh, take breaks. Um, occasionally, if I'm having a bad hand day, I'll use my compression gloves um, while I'm working. Um, and I am still working full time. Um, you know, obviously, depending on disease severity, some people can work, some people can't work. Um, and uh, yeah, and I just try to to take breaks and make sure that I have <laughs> water, um, which I think is you know, fair enough advice, even if you are uh, totally uh, uh, healthy, quote unquote. Yeah. And I mean, I think most people know that anyone who does repetitive actions, particularly with your hands, is mm -hmm. at risk for repetitive stress injuries. So it's helpful to do those things, even if you don't have a joint condition. So, um, so thank you. And that's really similar to, to what I do too. I have the ergonomic keyboard and mouse. I like this one mm -hmm. upright mouse. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, I am similar. I don't like the ball. I actually think that the mice for me personally with the ball, they actually aggravate my knuckles, which is like the MCP mm. joint, the metacarpophalangeal, which are usually the worst in like of the, that's where the most pain is for mm -hmm. rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, so that's just my person. It's the same thing with scrolling on a um, touch screen. That's why I gotcha. like, a, um, sometimes I use a stylus of my if my fingers are sore, but, um, but yeah, I know it's there, no one, unfortunately, like with res regards to the question you said, you know, you were able to work full-time. Lots of people can work full-time. Some can't, and you really don't know necessarily at your diagnosis, right? Um, you can ask your right. doctor, you know, never don't ever, um, be shy to ask your doctor. What is, what is my prognosis in your opinion? You know, if you, the doctors are the ones that see, you know, eight, 10 right. patients a right. day, do you right. patients like me, do you think I have a good likelihood? Cause like there's factors that make you have a, your prognosis better or worse, how mild or severe is your disease? How, um, do you already have some, you know, progression deformities? Do you have really high blood markers? You know, how are your x-rays, all these things, they fam strong family history was your family member, did they have more of an aggressive form of RA? Um, so, you know, knowing those things, your doctor can say, you know, honestly, in your case, it's going to be probably you need to prepare yourself to work part-time potentially, or, right. oh no, we expect you to be able to work full-time, you know? So, right. Um, right. Yeah. And so, okay. So I have a fun little section I've started doing of rapid fire questions. Okay. So, um, this one is, um, one of my favorite questions is, do you have any like words of wisdom or encouragement for somebody who might have just just gotten diagnosed with mm. RA? That's a hard. I know. Hard. I think uh, is almost to some extent sounds hypocritical because it's definitely something I I still struggle with. Um, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's probably number one. Um, there are many times that my partner Adam. Um, you know, I said like, I'd rather you just ask me and, and quote unquote, you know, bother me for two minutes, than you struggle and get frustrated and upset that you can't open a jar. 
Um, so similar to my husband too. And I'm like, yeah. I know it's just so hard to ask for help. I, yeah, I feel you on that one. <laughs> yeah. I hope people take that to heart. Um, and I think a lot of us can, we can get stubborn because we're like, I don't want rheumatoid arthritis to be the reason I have to have help. It's more like it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make your life easier. Um, do you have a favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox? Yeah. So I promise, <laughs> I promise Cheryl didn't tell me to do this, but, um, the, the kit, the, the, the can opener from, um, kitchen mama has yeah. been such a lifesaver. Um, the one because, touch one. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, um, for a while we were using, you know, the manual, um, can openers and it got to a point where for various reasons, I mean, they were they're definitely cheaper, but it, it, that motion is just not great. Um, and having a tool that turns a potentially super painful task into something super duper easy. Um, Mm -hmm. especially when we didn't want, um, an electric can opener that took up too much counter space. Like it, it's worth every penny. (laughs) Oh, I know. I love that you can store under the counter. That was a huge selling point for me too. And I'm not an affiliate. I just, I just mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then do you have a favorite book or a movie or show you've been consuming uh, recently? Um, that's a good question. <sighs> I mean, I, I'm a sucker for like trashy reality television. <laughs> um, and, and so um, I promise I've not watched any of the other um, Bachelor in Paradise seasons. Don't get mad at me. Don't come for me. Um, but I am watching the most current season of Bachelor in Paradise. Um, and like, I understand it's trashy te- television, but sometimes, sometimes you just need trashy, trashy, yeah, there's trashy a web- television. I listened to a podcast called Pop Culture Happy Hour. And one oh, of yeah. Those, yeah, she's Linda Holmes. She founded this website that was called um, or she used to write for a website called Television Without Pity, like saying like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to apologize for liking what you like. You know, <laughs> my husband, and I have been watching Love is Blind. And what we mm-hmm. do is we literally pause it and we'll like have conversations mm-hmm. about it and be like, here's how, like, I think she should have said that this way, like, that. Mm-hmm. what do you think? Like, would that have come across better? You know? So it's like, we are actually, first of all, it is just mindless entertainment, but it also is like, it can be a conversation starter to be honest. Yes. Totally. I, yeah. Totally season agree. one, love is blind was all focused in at Atlanta too, by the way. So yes, two of the couples are still married from there, which is awesome. Um, spoiler yes. alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> it's like two years ago. Do you have yeah. a favorite mantra or inspirational saying? It's okay if you don't. I mean, I guess listen to your body. It's not like super, it's not super like poetic by any means, but no. um, I think it's one that's it's one that's it's one that is important to me, especially. Yeah, yeah. I that is it's a deceptively simple one. It sounds it sounds easy, but it's not. We are get so, and when you live with pain, you get used to not listening to your body as a coping mechanism. So I totally agree with that. Um, what is something that's bringing you joy right now? Um... <laughs> 
Taylor Swift Midnights? No, no, I haven't listened to it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will eventually listen to it. Um, I would say uh, my burlesque classes. Um, Awesome. Yeah, my burlesque classes. You are inspiring me to sign up. And then, okay, last one. Um, Yeah. What does it mean for you to thrive with rheumatic disease? Um, to, I feel like this is like a cop-out answer, but I don't know how else to express it. Um, to be able to function to my highest ability, to my fullest ability, you know, to be able to do the things that I want to do, you know, even if it means having to modify during a group exercise class or, um, you know making sure I get enough sleep or what have you. Um, yeah, that I'm still, you know, I'm not succumbing to uh, my illness and, and forfeiting everything that I, you know, enjoy about life, but rather finding ways like to, to repeat what you said earlier, you know, to find ways to, uh, you said it so much better, you, to oh, find ways to move sense. alongside it or to. Oh yeah. Yeah. To thrive alongside it, live yeah. alongside it, allow it rather than seeing it as the enemy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not see it as the enemy, but just see it as, you know, just part of me that, you know, has to be taken into account. I mean, that that's key. I would say, I mean, I would say I totally resonate with that that's like like what you've just described is almost like the thesis of occupational therapy is like helping people adapt and helping people you know um live function and live to like you said function at my highest ability even if I have to modify that's that is no small feat so yeah I love it I love it is there um anything else you want to share with the audience before we wrap up um I mean honestly any I I think I feel similarly about, you know, physicians as I do about like group fitness practitioners. Like I think any good quote unquote um, practitioner in either of those fields, you know, if, if, if you present a potential complication or concern about the class or about the treatment, like it should become a conversation and there should be a modification available. Yeah. Like I know that maybe that's idealistic, but um you know. That's I nice. love that. I love that. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. That's something that a lot of people don't think about. So thank you. And mm-hmm. where can people find you if they want to talk to yeah. you or ask you questions, um, connect? So I'm at neurogal913 on Instagram. I also have a group fitness Instagram that um admittedly uh has been it's not abandoned but has definitely been neglected um it's mishmash movement um oh, okay yeah m i s h m o s h movement um okay. all one word and um yeah i mean i'm i'm open to to questions or if you're in the atlanta area um to to let you know where i'll be teaching Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your tips. Um, I really think people are going to benefit from your, from your wisdom and and ideas. So thank you again. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye for now. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.